Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are around the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and today, we're finally catching up on the 24 hours of Lamar. It's been a month, but we did take some time away, because good howdy, that was a month. And joining me today, I've got Austin. Hello, Austin. Good afternoon. Good evening, Hello. in fact. Uh, yeah, good, good evening. Good morning. Uh, how's your cappuccino, frappuccino, uh, coffee, rocco? Uh, I... I'm quite pleased with my coffee this morning. Thank you very much. It is very oh, tasty. You did a good job. I did a good job. Yeah. On this, give, your, on this... give your barista a compliment for me. Uh, my barista is me, so I will give myself a compliment. Exactly. Well done, Michael. Look, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little high five. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it indeed was a month. So we, uh, yeah, we had to, had to settle our thoughts in here for that uh, and then <laughs> take to podcasting. But hopefully I'll... Uh, We'll get this one in, and then I want to do one with Chris too. We got to do one with him as well because we got we had a lot of happening like the the outside of sports car world too with like NASCAR and all kinds of like that oh, kind of stuff. So we got to we got to get this uh, podcast stuff going again. I'm not sure if you heard, but Kiwi and I talked about NASCAR on uh, from the grandstands because of I course did. we talked about NASCAR on the grand. Look, like, Shane Van Gisbergen, man, how good was that? I know, I know. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. I don't think I've been. I, I've shouted at the TV screen that that like in recent memory in a long time. Uh, uh, just kind of, I really wanted him to win that. that so was that brilliant. was that was incredible. So yeah, congrats to that. And uh, hopefully he comes back and does it again. But I just like the. I don't know. The unique feat of it all was uh, was definitely on point. And also to hear like Max Verstappen was like screaming for him to win too is awesome. <laughs> so it got all of us kind of standing up and going for it. So, it but yeah, that was. This is, I think that might be the only time we ever talk about NASCAR on uh, endurance chat ever. Yeah, so I mean, quite possibly. There was that uh, two minute break there that you'll never get again, anyone. So, <laughs> wait. Now let's talk about the event that we actually all started. Uh, yeah, the reason we started yes. this podcast. The 24 Hours of Le Mans, we had the centenary event last month now, and we don't, like, we talked about it so much in the lead up, and it so much of what we talked about came to fruition. We had an incredible event, we had GT-like battles in LMH, we had an incredible, who would have expected that LMP2 result, and then the the GT result as well. It was just a wonderful event full of great stories. Um, to kick everything off, uh, Cookie... Uh, was the Lamar event good? <laughs> I literally asked this to a buddy of mine before we did this as well. And he's like, what? Well, why are you putting me on the spot like this? I was like, I don't like, he's like, oh, do you want a specific answer? Like, you're like, you don't want a relevant answer. I'm like, dude, was the race good? He's like, you know what? It was good. I watched more of it than I, than I did before. And, uh, I kind of stayed into more to the race than, than I had previously. And, like the lots of crashes and all kinds of stuff came into effect and all that. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah. Cause I definitely agree with that. He went into some other details that we'll get into about like safety car uh, mm. procedures. But um, yeah, I mean, so just as a casual uh, sports car fan for him, definitely paying attention to IMSA, like he watched more Le Mans this year than he ever did before. And, um, and yeah, I did, I tried to as much as I could in the given circumstance, but I've since watched the race over again. Yes, of course. And, uh, let's just quick sidebar there. How was not watching the centenary event of Le Mans live? It was awesome. Idiot. It was fantastic. It was so great. I, how is it my fault? I, just, I was just trying to like, screw, I was just trying to get through. Screw having friends who do things like social events, like get married on the Le Mans day. Gosh. Yeah. And then, like, on a ski slope, and we were in an apartment or, like, a little uh, Airbnb thing on the across the street. So, it was a crazy view. Nice. But I got to see, actually, a decent amount of it just because of, 
like the, how the schedule worked with everything. So I, I obviously missed like a good chunk of the night, but whatever. I, I was able to kind of get up early in the morning the next morning and watch like a good three or four hours of it. So yeah, but that was, I mean, yeah, I, I made sure I had the ability to do it. It was the most <laughs> hamstrung I've ever watched uh, Le Mans in a long time, but I managed to do, uh, to do, to make, to engineer a feat of uh of viewing so i'm okay with that i'm, I'm very because, yeah it was a, it was an awesome race yeah it, I, like i i said it on from the grandstands with chris as well it was a race befitting the centenary event and i think uh not many people would disagree with that one no uh i mean it had everything kind of that you wanted in the race especially it the the battle for the league going down into the almost the final hour so i mean it, it wasn't completely decided um at all because both cars, I mean, up until the end, the Toyota started really losing balance, and you could kind of tell that it was just, you know, they were trying. At least Hirokawa yeah. was trying really hard, and then obviously the mistake. But um, yeah, I mean, if if that's what you, like the different storylines that you would probably pay attention to that race for, if there, I'm sure there's a bunch of different you know reasons to you know get excited for that race but i feel like every storyline going into it that could have made it exciting kind of executed and we saw so many manufacturers lead look kind of almost dominant in specific conditions or specific times during the race um i mean you know i i it's it's hard to throw something negative at the race and I mean, I would almost even say that with the uh, safety car procedures, like it, I, those kind of, they, they ended up being annoying. Um, I'm still not sold on the one sing, single safety car thing, but they, for the teething of it, for the first time doing it, did a pretty decent job. But we'll get into that more later. Well, um, let's let's talk about that right now, because for, for me, okay. that was the the only thing that I found a little distracting like distracting i guess is the right word i didn't hate it but also it was like i want to watch more racing and t- for me particularly it was the first one the first one kind of annoyed the pants off me um with the the crash on literally the first lap after eduardo warned everyone about the conditions on the Mulsanne straight and yet someone still managed to crash on the Mulsanne straight into the tires and into the barrier and cause barrier repairs so the the safety car procedure, if you didn't catch it, uh, it was uh, modified for this year. They were going to do the three safety car thing, and then once everything was neutralized, get everyone behind the same safety car, do a series of wave rounds and drop backs in order to get everyone split by class, and then restart the race from there. Now, they did this three times during the race. Let's Let's talk a little bit in depth on how we felt about it, because I feel like we lost something by having everything under the same safety car. There was a little bit of, um, how do I put it? A a little bit of, not chaos, because there was certainly chaos on the restarts regardless, but like multi-class chaos, you know, jumbled up chaos uh, that was missing. And I'm not sure whether or not it's a good or bad thing. I just kind of noticed that it was missing. Uh, What were your thoughts on the procedure in itself? Yeah, the... uh... I'm not sure. I know for a while too, people were not a huge fan of uh, three pace car safety car um, aspect of it too, where it was unfair. And you've had teams that have that have definitely been vocal about it. Um, I think I like it from the way that they do wave arounds. That's interesting to me. I think it solves a lot of problems. 
I think it's something to take note at every place beyond Le Mans. Um, and if we're stuck doing single safety car, I'd rather them do it with that wave around procedure that they've been that they did this year. Um, I think it's like just as straightforward, intelligent way to, to actually classify or sort all of the classes quickly, um, even though it kind of didn't take. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it took a lot of extra time that I think that they hopefully can kind of cut down next year. But I, I honestly didn't have a problem too much with it. Um, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist anyway, so I'd rather see it just the way it is because it's unique anyway, and it's just a long course. So, but, um, I mean, the same thing happens at Nürburgring, so I'm not really going to complain. Um, if it's the same thing doesn't happen at the Nürburgring because the thing that happens at the Nürburgring is exclusively Yes, yes, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, that was a brain fart. Yes, they just use slow zones there, so they're not even using safety car procedure. Um, but I think when they did, they had single car safety cars there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the thing that annoyed me was that it took a lot more time um, because you've got to do the, the period where they're doing the drop back and the wave around is only on the Mulsanne straight. And so that means that after you do one set of, uh, when you after you do the wave around, you've got to wait a whole lap before you can do the drop back procedure. And that at 80 kilometers per hour around a 13 kilometer per hour, tra- uh, yeah, 13K track takes time and specifically at the first one at the very beginning of the race after we've waited 30 minutes for the barrier repairs to happen then you're doing another 20 minutes of jumbly malarkey i i just wanted to see racing it was like we'd been we'd been absolutely blue balled that was that was my <laughs> that was my sort of thoughts at the beginning it was like I, i've been waiting for this for 12 months i just want to see racing we've gotten half of one lap and now i'm sitting here for an hour watching cars trying to i just want to i just want to see i just want to see racing austin i want to i want to see racing <laughs> Yeah, that was well, don't even start suggesting slow zones only because apparently that was really difficult this year for some reason. It was it was incredibly difficult for every single series that was racing at Le Mans this week or that weekend. I have I don't understand what what the problem was, but okay. uh, that, that, that's a separate issue. Just quickly, finally on the safety car, do we see an improvement for next year, or is this what we're going to get now? Uh, is it going to be quicker? This is probably what we're going to get now. Hopefully they try to do something where they open more of the track up to have this done so that they're not just waiting at Mulsanne straight to do it. And even then, like they weren't really starting to do it until like halfway through Mulsanne. And it wasn't. So it's just kind of like the the weird area that they're trying to do this in is very small. And I feel like if they don't get windows in, they just run them again. And again, it takes like 20 minutes to get all the way through around there. So I just I'm with you. I wish that there maybe they open it up. and allow this to just be a much quicker and fluid process. But I don't know if that's even on the cards either. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, Maybe go back to three. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. And then, of course, this has all happened because, uh, you know, the one year that the GTE Pro BOP was the best it's ever been, kind of mostly, uh, we had a a safety car split the the lead battle, which just never got squashed back together. So, you know, it was the, the pink pig in 2016 that just got... 2016? 2017? Or 2018? One of those years. Whenever they had the pink pig, where it just got given a minute and a bit advantage and just never got challenged. So that's why we've got this, is to keep the the gaps close. But then of course the flip side is if you're, you know, three minutes and thirty seconds behind and a safety car gets called, then you are magically 
you know, 20 seconds behind again or less than. So it's a, it's a, uh, one of those things where there's no easy, correct answer except for slow zones. But then you've got this other issue, which we saw happen many times during the race of cars not paying attention and ending up with, uh, well, drivers not paying attention and ending up with incidents in, into slow zones. Um, we saw one very early on in the race, uh, where which took out, I think, the number 83 Ferrari? No, the number 21. One of the Ferraris, one of the notable Ferraris, uh, whoever had Ulysses de Paul behind the wheel, um, and uh, an, uh, one of the Aston Martins as well. I believe it was the uh, TF Sport Aston Martin very early on in the race. But it just kept happening. It just kept happening. And then, of course, the most notable one, Cookie, being the one wherein one of the Ferraris... Uh, basically launched itself over the back of uh, the number uh, 7 Toyota of uh, Kamui Kobayashi and put that car out of the race. Yeah, that was thrilling. Uh, definitely a super cool moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I guess just a confusion seemingly with some of the drivers seeing um, next zone. Like they, they're seeing the next zone and thinking somehow that says slow zone and they're starting to basically break at a marshal like a marshal's post too early. I mean, this seemingly was happening in the road of Le Mans, uh, or the, uh, yeah. road of law cup. Um, both races had this problem. Uh, I just, I, I don't understand. Um, it literally says everywhere. I mean, you literally go on WC's website and they have the thing with slow zone where it's like in the preceding zone, marshals will display next slow next boards slow, yeah. or it will be, fl- it'll be flashing on the, on the digital display band, like uh board. So I like, I don't, I don't understand. And also with that being said too, a lot of it just got confused. You saw a lot of pro driver confusion because they're seeing other cars not understanding the rules, then them thinking that they're doing something wrong. And of course it has to be a Toyota. Of course. Every time. Yeah. And uh and then they get ran over. Alpine um and Alpine kind of runs into him too and just a, and a, a massive amount of carnage. They somehow the car kept going but they didn't have enough juice to get it home and I I, I would assume the gearbox got got hurt Close with that, yeah. which is how they lost drive. So but yeah, I just um, just bewildering driving standards at times, um, and beyond that too, just a lot of uh, a lot of spins. A lot of, I mean, it, it was not the most dry race. I'll give it that. But uh, the first chicane at Mulsanne was just destroying cars, <laughs> or just destroying uh, uh, weekends. Destroying, <laughs> I mean, destroying dreams. Right. I mean, I, I can't. I lost count of how many cars spun or made contact with the tire barrier there, or just just got uh, loose. I mean, the three eleven, obviously, out of that first chicane too, uh, for the first lap. So, uh, yeah. I mean, definitely needs to have more work done on highlighting the importance of understanding like what next zone means versus slow zone, and like when you start seeing those flashing boards, does not always indicate that's where it starts, or. Or, or, or that something. is, or that is where it starts, and from the start of the next slow, you have to start slowing down. And it, yeah, it, I guess it's one of those things as well that or just use a different color or something. Like yeah. try to make them because especially those digital boards, they're they're so bright and so obnoxiously right there in your face that I feel like you know we we're, we're getting to points too where like even using some of the like iRacing applications and stuff, you can set up Arduino like LED boards, and you can have them do like certain indicators and all that stuff. Well, exactly. It's easy to get software to set this stuff up where you can make it 
like easier on the drivers to be like, okay, blinking, flashing, I don't know, brown light or something. Okay, that means the slow zone's coming up, or it just says SZ and it's flash. I don't know. Well, or it's just it's easier for the human eye to like identify it quickly and respond to it. Well, uh, we saw as well on the onboards, they have the the flag in the cab system, the the one that mm-hmm. tells them when it's going to be, you know, the next slow. So that, like we saw on the uh, Toyota onboard, we saw it come up with next slow. So Kamui Kobashi was slowing down for the next slow zone. And then that's, uh, you know, that's when he got absolutely rear-ended by, I think it was the JMW uh, Ferrari uh, that, that did that. It, it, it's uh, like... I don't know whether you make it more clear in the driver's briefing to say, like, when you come into the next slow zone, that is when you have to start slowing down, not, like, you don't run it all the way up to the slow zone. But, like, it's it seems to me that people were pushing too hard. And, of course, they're pushing too hard. It's Le Mans, and that's what you do. You want to win the centenary, that's what you do. You push hard or at the very limit. Um, I wonder as well if it's a bit of a multi-class thing, because a lot of the incidents that happened were either GT cars slowing down right in front of prototypes or prototypes slowing down right in front of GT cars. Uh, Is that a a concern? Is that something that needs to be looked at? Yeah, um, just the the specific incident is just that that, that four or five car incident. And that GT car, I don't think... I mean, realistically, if you look at the replay... Um, I can't. I don't. It, I don't know if that was the Panis car, or if that was an Alpine. But it that first 30, LMP2. It was the the thirty nine. The thirty nine. Yeah. It was a thirty nine Alpine. Well, he was on oh, sorry, the outside. No, it was the Graf basically. Racing. Sorry. Okay, that so that was Graf Racing. I wasn't sure if that was the Panis or Graf. But okay, so Graf Racing. But they had, he basically was checking up like as Kamui was like getting around that the apex of the side car you like you saw him you saw that car pretty slow already and he kamui is basically checking up because he's thinking that he can't overtake because he's already in a slow zone that car is already going incredibly fast compared to like the other three cars or four cars around him so to me either all of them just didn't realize that they were coming up onto a slow zone or that first car the uh, graph car just slowed down way too quickly and it confused everybody thinking that they were supposed to be in a slow zone when they might basically racing to the line essentially yeah and so what you saw is probably the ferrari too knowing maybe potentially because again like i said it wasn't like everybody was slamming on the brakes like they just overtook the ferrari the ferrari behind them and to my knowledge like was just assuming that okay they're getting to a slow zone i still can go a little bit before i have to break and everybody was already checking up because of that graph uh lmp2 that was on the outside at least that was my interpretation of what I saw from the replays. It just looked like everybody was just confused because the graph was going so slow on the outside. Again, my assumption for the slow zone. So well, yeah, it was like well, I, it was chaos. I, I don't know. Yeah, it was. You, we yeah. definitely saw that though. We've definitely seen the LMP2s get get um, ruffled up or ruffled the GTs just by not giving all that space. I mean, Ricky Taylor's accident, especially those bumps um, coming out of Tete Rouge mm. onto the Mulsan. He got screwed up with those uh, that United crashed to that involved the uh, the Porsche as well. And, um, you know, so we've seen a lot of the bumps, too, on the side of the road uh, causing a lot of havoc. But again, those the 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 two those and the, I think there was another incident with slow zones. Yeah, there was but, the one earlier in the race, which had the I think the Sebastian Bourdais Cadillac and yes, what another the Ulysses yes. before Ferrari. Yep. Yeah, similar sort of thing. Just uh, yeah, it's just really, really odd odd wrecks and then again shout out uh or not again but i want to shout out uh the team turkey yeah uh, car for just um laser laser guidance right at uh on at indianapolis and hit the uh i think it was a prima car uh was it the number nine is that the dark 
I think so. I I missed that. I was asleep at the time, so I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, well done. Yeah, it was at, it was at Indianapolis. I think the Prima car like spun out into Indianapolis and was like trying to recover, or had spun it like hit hit the barriers at the back of Indianapolis. And a Team Emerald car, because it was wet or something like that, like overshot the kink coming into Indy. And just he was trying to get it. He couldn't get it woe down. But instead of like going left or right, he basically just went straight on and hit the back end of the frame that was just sitting oh, there yeah. uh, in the Indy. And that was runoff. So I was like, oh, come on, man. Like You could have just missed that and probably not even damage your car. But then you just basically go and damage both of them. So, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um Back, back, just quickly back onto slow zones. Um, what is the solution? Uh, if because you know this isn't the first time we've seen incidents into slow zones. Uh, when they first brought them in, we used to see incidents into slow zones. I remember 2016, one of the Audis, or 2015, one of the Audis coming into Indianapolis, having to take to the grass and running into the barrier to try and avoid cars slowing down for a slow zone. Is there a uh, is there a method that we can implement? Like maybe having, you know, two slow zones out, you slow down to 120 and then to 60 for the slow zone, like the, what we have the Nürburgring or, or what, what do we do here? Um, my thing would be to introduce either a new flag or board or some, like I said, something with the digital systems and on board where it's, it's specifically indicating to you what, what zone you are in or something. Um, and then maybe doing more, uh, I don't know, white lines or something, doing something that that's just easier to help designate where this starts and where this ends. Um, and then just pounding it home and driver's meetings, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm sure next year it's going to, it's going to be specifically highlighted in driver's meeting in the driver's meeting beforehand. So I would not be surprised if we don't see uh, as many incidents as we did this year, next year. However, yeah, I, it, there there has to be something extra that we could do, whether that is, like I said, doing something with the digital boards and onboard where it's a different color, different shade, whatever, where it's just a designated different thing where the drivers aren't going, oh, okay, I do I slow down for this? Do I not yeah. slow down for this? What like what am I trying to do? Um, just remove the because, yeah. ambigu- and ambiguity from it. Yeah, which again is. Uh, like it's almost eye roll, you know. You're almost giving an answer in an eye roll because it's, uh, you know, it it is clear cut how you're supposed to be approaching this. It's the same thing with pit pit road in. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, do we not need to give anybody anything until they immediately see slow zone and that's their only indicator? I mean, that's not necessarily great, but you know, maybe start it somewhere earlier. Like you you lengthen the slow zones so that you're removing them in in hard to see places because well, at the same time yeah. that Marshall's post. I'm not going to say that it's not, you know, like it's, it's hazardous or anything like that, but you only see that Marshall's post, especially when it's coming up like that. So it makes you think twice a little bit about, okay, well, I don't necessarily see an accident coming up. I don't see any other thing that's approaching that. Like all I see is that one. So maybe it just got people confused because of that. Um, but then granted, we just, we had problems on the backstretch on, uh, wrote a little mock up, and then we also had uh, right at, at right on Molson Bridge too, which doesn't even make any sense. Uh, or not Molson Bridge, uh, uh, Dunlop, Dunlop Bridge. Bridge yeah, um, which that, that doesn't even make any sense. I don't know how you would possibly mess that up. Yeah, but. that that to me is particularly confusing. Um, and and it's a good point you make about that master's post because I think that slow zone, slow zone three, uh, from Tertrouge to the first chicane, 
is the hardest, most difficult one to manage because you don't have a slow corner in that sequence. It's not like, say, slow zone yeah. six where you're coming out of Mulsan corner. So your next slow is into Mulsan corner. So you're already slowing down. Or it's not like, you know, slow zone eight, which is coming out of the Porsche curves, uh, where mm-hmm. you slow down out of Arnage and you go through the entire Porsche curves at 60 kilometers per hour. It's not like it's not like that. With with the whole uh, Tertruge setup and the, the Forest S's, there is no point where you're slowing down for a hard corner. So I think that one as well is particularly difficult to manage. Totally agreed. Um, and maybe we'll see something change where that's not, you know, like that it's pushed to something else or somewhere else where it's again where they could paint a line on the on uh, coming down from dunlop core uh, dunlop bridge where taking that right hander to that where they're slowing down to the left they could make that the slow zone designated slow zone star area um you know and having some digital signage that's like looking directly at the drivers in the gravel trap that's behind it you know you could do something like that where you're you know you're you're trying to remove any issues and if there are any issues you at least give drivers a bailout point yeah or at least like they they have an out like they can shoot to the gravel if they want to yeah, and not well, die that's that's another thing there really isn't a lot of space in that area you know the forest s's you've got a little bit of a gravel trap on the outside but once you get into the 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 sort of hump into Tert Rouge, you're surrounded by barriers. Surrounded by barriers. Like you've got you've mm-hmm. not got a lot of space on the outside, you've not got a lot of space on the inside. You've only got a lot of space once you actually get to the apex of the corner. And even then, if you run too wide there, you meet tires, which is not a fun time. So yeah, that's 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 probably one of the things that will have to be looked at for the future. Um, but it was just unfortunate that it took out, you know, two well-placed cars, well, a well-placed car in GT, a well-placed car in LMP2, and one of your boys. Yeah, yeah, potentially, you know, it's it's that, it's that whole thing about you got to have, you know, bullets in the chamber at the end uh, to try to really fight with it. And I mean, you know, Toyota was fighting with a car that was a little bit wounded and they didn't have another one to actually do anything with. So, you know, it, it's that kind of... Not curse, it's just the the weird, unfortunate luck that befalls them. I mean, and again... Specifically just Toyota. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it's just like wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. And there's really not a lot else to it outside of just, (laughs) you know, uh, could he, uh, you know, could Kobayashi have, like done anything to, he could have i guess i'm sure i'm sure he probably was thinking that he like he could have kept going a little bit farther and then slowed down for the slow zone if that if it was farther up towards Tete rouge but um i mean outside of that i mean i, I you know i could totally see myself in the same situation like oh i don't want to you know the last thing you want to do right now is when it's a really close race is get pinged for something stupid like overtaking during slow zone, um, yeah. slow zone yeah i mean then and then you're getting a hefty hefty penalty for that so it's just i mean it was just a no-win scenario and it just kind of bit them so i mean it didn't it wasn't like uh issues didn't befall everybody else in the uh in the class ferrari just kind of ended up having less less less, uh dramatic issues yeah Yeah. i mean they still had drama but it wasn't it it wasn't uh a lot of contact yeah drama let's let's now talk about the rest of the race we've talked about the things that maybe didn't go so well but i I want to talk about each of the lmh manufacturers and how their races went because as i said earlier on the lmh battles felt like gte pro from five years ago we had trains trains of lmh cars or hypercars rather 
just buzzing their way around the Le Mans circuit, overtaking GT cars, LMP2 cars in big batches. It felt like it felt like a GT race, and that to me was kind of terrifying. Uh, this was really the true, like the true realization of hypercar as a class, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I go so far as to say it also proves why Le Manches are just very, very good. And especially for uh, a full 24-hour stint, like, they they do produce good racing. Now, the only the only thing is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give my boy Caddy some credit. They uh, they seem like they're probably the best LMDH uh, around right now yeah. beyond the LMHs, but yeah, I mean, I would not d- disagree with you with your GT uh, assessment with it. Um, and the crazy part, too, with that is um, it still had the ebbs and flows of a GT Pro race where pace would be quick, um, but then as the race would set in, I mean, you'd have some times where you'd have cars closing in, closing in, and then you'd kind of, they'd just be clustered together and that's where they would stay. Um, you know, so you, you would see a little bit more dra- a dramatic gap increases but then uh, you know the cars would close right in with different changing conditions and um you know we saw so many different cars take the lead um at various points during the race uh i mean we even saw peugeot leading with potential pace i think every single manufacturer had their moment where they were leading the race and not just like oh we're on pit strategy and we might be at the front and cycle to the front before we pit but no but like actually leading the race like actually taking control of the race for a stretch of time Mm -hmm. which which is good yeah Yes, um, I mean it. It proves that it is, it's possible to um, to kind of give a decently decent balance, and I mean it really does also prove that the window that they're trying to keep all these guys operating in over specifically twenty four hours at that higher performance level works as well. Which you know it's it's harder to do when you're dealing with a lot faster cars than these GTMs um, or not GTMs, but just the GTEs uh, themselves. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to see. I mean, it was it was really cool to to watch. It, it didn't feel like there were a lot of cars stuck where they were and just not able to pass. It just seemed like if you had just you know just even a teeny bit more pace, you get around them and just kind of keep going. Um, and that again was what we were looking for. And a lot of good battles, a lot of good passing between um, lap traffic and. Yeah, I'm yeah. really, really excited. Yeah, and uh, hey, it's if this is what we're going to get, if this is what Hypercar is going to bring, bring it on. Bring, 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 bring it, bring it the absolute F on. This is, this is, this was, this was, this was awesome. This was all awesome. Oh, you, you almost sweared there. I know, man. I know. I was going to, I was going to. It was a good thing I didn't have to crack out the Nürburgring buzzer. Um, let's go through uh, each manufacturer and see how they did because there was a lot of stories in Hypercar specifically um, and a lot of them deserve to be told properly. Um, and the first one, I think, is a really, really important achievement. Um, somehow, oh somehow, the Floyd Van Wall, uh by collars, whatever it is called, managed to set their unbreakable Gibson engine on fire. And I think, wow, that's right there. That is absolutely one of the achievements of the event. I don't think that mm-hmm. it, that engine should be absolutely bulletproof, and somehow they managed to set it on fire. Like that's 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 just, I, I unbelievable, unbelievable. What an uh, achievement! Yeah, a, a perfect ending to a perfect weekend for Van Wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. They ended up completing what, like, a uh, hundred and sixty-five laps. So, like. Less than half race distance. So, Van Wall. 
Yeah. 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 They, okay. Uh, who? Yeah. Oh, pretty much. Oh, okay. You wanted me to comment. All right. I mean, well, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have, do you have yeah, any compl- I, complicated feelings? No, about not him? really. Yeah. Not really. They they lasted uh, a third of the way, and um, uh, whatever whatever makes them feel really really good and tingly inside is uh, is important. So we'll see uh, we'll see if they're there next year. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's got it. Uh, a few better stories. Um, Glickenhouse. Now they were yes. not not necessarily super duper on the pace. Uh, the top Glickenhouse finished, uh, I think, seven laps back. But importantly, once again, Glickenhouse got both cars to the finish and managed to beat uh all the Peugeots and all the Porsches uh, and a few other teams as well. Sixth and seventh finish for Glickenhouse Racing with the two cars. That is like that is still an impressive result. It might not be the headline of we got a podium like last year, but that is still impressive. For sure. Um and this is again why I think we were talking earlier in the year why it was just disappointing that they didn't continue testing and trying to improve the car as much as they could or just trying not to get an Evo, or try to get some Evo Joker update to it to kind of enhance it a little bit more where it can you know, again, maybe not fight. I mean, it ended up being seven laps down from the overall leader uh, at the end of the race, but um, you know, where it it could can potentially continue to pick up better positions, especially here and at WC around. Uh, so it just it it shows that they definitely have better reliability when it comes to at least finding a pace, running it, and not having any issues because it's just a less complicated car. Um, and they've had a lot of mileage on it. So, um, you know, it's proven that aspect of it, but it definitely fails on the pace side. So it's just, um, you know, frustrating if, you know, if it wasn't about money and it was about something else, then, you know, that that's frustrating that they couldn't continue doing, you know, improving that car yeah. to see where it probably could have gotten um, beyond that. Because they, you know, but at the very same token, I don't, like I said, I don't think they're they're fighting overall for the win. Um, I also see like if they were to improve pace, they might have been in fifth instead of six. So, um, yeah, I, I still think that it's this is about the best case scenario that they probably could have hoped for for a while. I mean, uh, outside of massive problems for all of the cars besides Toyota and then them getting another podium or somehow them stealing a win, this is probably the best case scenario that they could have for the first year hypercar like yeah. like of the first um, full-fledged hypercar year yeah i totally agree like and it it's a pretty good showing to customers to say hey if you want to come race at lamar and guarantee a finish by our car because it like as much as much as people talk shit about clicking house and whatever 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 every time that car has gone to lamar it has finished without major issue and like that is not just this year that is last year that is the year before that as well every single year that they have been there they have finished the race which is more than you can say for Porsche for Peugeot for even Toyota for all these other big manufacturers like that is that is a a remarkable achievement that should be celebrated absolutely um uh, you know it is definitely it's more now David and Goliath than ever before um, and I, I get, I think that there's something to be said for how they manage that, including having a couple of close calls in the beginning of the race too, with, uh, uh, with some rain chaos, which, uh, definitely could have taken one of their cars out of the, the running for sure. 
Yeah, so good race management and good reliability. That's that's how you win Lamar <laughs> mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little luck, and a little, and a little luck. luck. Yeah, and and pace, but you know, don't quite have that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't talk about that last one. One car that did have pace but did not have reliability or good race management was Porsche. I was significantly disappointed by Porsche showing at Lamar. It made me sad. Um, their top place car was the number five car, the full season car that finished down in 16th place, which was 17 laps away from the lead of the race. And, you know, this is despite leading in the middle part of the race, despite having, uh, Kevin Esch in the mix for a podium position for a little while late in the race. This was despite the, the Hertz car, uh, being dominant in the early hour three and four section of the race. Uh, it just all fell apart. It all fell apart for, for Porsche, which was a big, sad time. Um, but not for yeah. you, probably. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not, I, I definitely don't want to see them be horrifically bad, but I'm okay to see them, like, take their time to get better. How <laughs> and- about that? Uh, is that, right? that that is that is remarkably diplomatic from you, and I hate it. I hate it. Just just be glad that we Man, be glad that I Porsche sucked. Myself with that one, yeah. I am. I am very glad right now that Porsche sucked. Uh, he said that he's that they're getting better. That they're getting better. So we'll see. I mean, you know, they they're doing a double double program. They got a lot of cars. Mm. So I will say, I was thinking about it watching qualifying today. Um, and I won't spoil anything. For Monza, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was just like, man, it is it is weirdly, it's weird to see arguably right now the worst uh, hypercar on the grid have the most customer cars right now. Because people were like, oh, they should just return the, Proton should return their cars. You know, like just, just harassing Porsche, obviously. But I'm just like, oh, they're not going to do that. But it's kind of like... Man, a lot of the times, the most popular car has usually just been the one that's been the most dominant, like from the gate. So it's it is a little odd to see uh, so many Porsches, but they just right now are lacking pace because it's gonna come. I mean, they're gonna figure it out. Yeah, so. and and the, yeah, they, the, the they additional, did not though this year. Yeah, you can say that again. The additional customers as well will help all of the data collection and improvements and feedback and all that sort of stuff, which is good signs. Um, but you know, the they they had their pace earlier in the race. The Hertz car. The Jota car was leading quite, oh, quite oh, yeah. comfortably um, until uh, an off in the Porsche curves. And I, you know, that car looks almost even sexier without the entire engine lid. Not great because it was crashed, but like I've never seen a car, <laughs> you know, sans engine lid and back rear assembly make it to the pits like that. That was kind of nuts. Um but yeah, you know, you had uh, fuel pump problems, fuel pressure problems, uh, brain-related problems. Uh, let, actually, let's talk about that. Is Kevin S a, a, a liability? <laughs> like, no, no, seriously. Is Kevin S a, a liability? He was in that battle with, I think it was Miguel Molina for third place. Uh, you know, they were chasing down the number three, number two Cadillac. They were battling fiercely, which was fine. And they were, you know, right up in each other's grill, which is fine. But then Est pushed too hard and found the wall. Is Kevin Est a reliability? Uh, uh, sorry, a liability? Um, no. I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say like he's had the uh, just amount of experience needed to basically say that he's not like he's failing at the task. I, I just think that he just needs a little bit more 
practice with how to like drive those cars and not drive them to their limit to the wall because he knows how to do that very well with GT cars. It's just these are a little bit faster and they they respond differently to different maneuvers. And I feel like he's just there might be a little bit of a miss in translation between how he's aggressive in GT land versus the uh, prototype land. So um, I don't I don't know. I mean, he. Uh, the, the my only issue with him would be if he constantly keeps crashing it. Otherwise, he's got good pace. He knows how to, you know. And it, it seems like the balance of the car, it, it, he's favorable for a neutral balance, which is probably what you need for those. So it, it I, I don't think he's a liability pace wise. I mean, we'll have no, to right. see how he's going to do battling other cars and seeing if he can kind of come out on top without making contact or putting himself off. So. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, he could have been driving a little bit harder than needed need to too, because the pace wasn't there at the Porsche. So, it, you know, like I said, it's just it's not something that it it, it didn't stand out to me. The the thing that obviously sucked was the UFA thing um, and the crash early on because it seemed like the thirty eight had really good pace. I mean, it seemed like they were holding their own pretty good against some of the um, and they were like the one LMDH that was kind of keeping up with everybody early on. And uh, besides the the Cadillacs and uh, you know the yellow Cadillac, obviously continuing to have bad luck and problems everywhere. So like spinning out in the rain and then getting plowed at uh, Dunlop Bridge yeah. with the slow zone issue. But no, I don't, I don't think he's I don't think he's really a big liability. Um, um I, I I don't know. He put the car on the wall. <laughs> like like I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. There, there's 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 certainly places for this sort of aggression. And most of the time it comes off, but every now and then it doesn't in, and in a big way. You know, there, there was that, that year where it seemed that no matter what car S jumped into, he crashed. And like, including like the Spa 24 hour where he got like two track limit penalties drive throughs in the first hour and then put the car on the wall. Uh, it just seems that every now and then he kind of gets into this mode where he's over the limit. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my yeah. concern as a Porsche fan at the moment. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think he's, he's just built up too much, uh, credit so far to have it go all down the drain this year. Oh, yeah. But I feel like if he has another poor performance like that, um, next year, and especially if it continues at any round in between now and next year, Lamar, I mean, yeah, there'll be a lot of, there'll be more finger pointing. I mean, you know, we saw that out of a lot of like Jose Mira Lopez. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, Nicola Lapierre. Um, yep. So this is not a precedent that has never been set before. So, I mean, you know, we'll we'll see if the trend continues. Um, it it did definitely didn't help the team, uh, especially when they're lacking pace. So you kind of want the cars to finish regardless. Yeah, and like they that was a a easy nailed on top five finish. Of course, it's not a podium, but you know, top five for your first year back at Le Mans is a pretty big deal. So a uh, little concern on that. Um, yeah, so Porsche's finished sixteenth overall, twenty second overall, uh, and. Uh, one didn't get to the finish. The other one finished 40th overall as the last classified car, 98 laps down. Uh, so not the best showing from Porsche. To be fair, though, this is pretty similar to 2014 when neither car technically... Well, both cars technically made the finish, but they made the finish by doing a last lap of 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, not the best showing from Porsche, but that's okay. Uh, Peugeot, though, they were there on pace for stretches of the race and were, in fact... Leading the race on pace for a stretch of the race. Uh, 
encouraging signs from Persia that we haven't really seen before uh, in the in the WEC. Uh, does that make you a little a little happy, a little more excited? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it it shows that the um, you know really the the actual pace of the car is can be found there. I, I think the problem, fortunately, is that like it doesn't seem like it's that great. And it does seem, still seem like their ultimate pace is just not there compared to the other cars. I don't think BOP is going to save them with that. I think they're going to still have to try to find pace somehow. Um, because, yeah, they were they were doing well overall there. But, I mean, w- we were kind of robbed of seeing how their ultimate performance is going to be judged versus the normal, quote-unquote, normal, normal uh, GT. Yeah. You know? yeah, the normal uh, hypercars. Just because, I mean, it seemed like, yeah, they were doing really well in the night when they were running. Um, if they would have potentially built up a really big lead, then, you know, and then just kind of had the other cars chisel that away until the end, then maybe one, then that's definitely something that they're going to want to do. But I, it, it just didn't seem like to me like they were, like they had figured it out. It just seemed like the conditions had, had gotten to a point where they had kind of gotten a good pace. And especially that it wasn't just totally dry. I feel like that car is able to handle some of the... It seemed like it was able to handle the inclement conditions a little bit better, or at least the changing variable conditions a little bit better than other uh, other hybrid cars. So, uh, and then we also heard from their boss, um, thinking even this week, talk about how that they're they're not necessarily... You know, like they're still... All options are open. They're obviously still like they've never been more committed to to trying to win the law. So and that and I guess people were interpreting that to mean that they might even think about doing reconfiguration to the rear. So I, I don't know, but um, at the same time, it just seems like that uh, like they've they've definitely proved that that the concept is viable yeah. to a point. Now I don't know if they have hit their limit or anything, but I think they still need to find more pace. Yeah. Which sucks because I I thought like I thought they would find a little bit more pace than they than they ultimately showed and unfortunately like I said we just didn't get to see a, a good result because they ended up bending it well in the lead so yeah and, and like they they had other issues as well uh you know yes, they yes. they had a hydraulic system problem for the ninety three and uh, the steering rack ended up failing on the ninety four but you know for a while there you know there was a a chance of of believing um and it wasn't until you know, Menezes came out of the pits in the middle of the night and just put it wide at the first chicane and hit the wall that, you know, people were writing Peugeot off. So it was a encouraging showing, I think, from Peugeot. Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely more encouraging than most of the other rounds that they've been to. Um, I think they've definitely shown that the car, if in the right situation, can compete right alongside the rest of the normal cars. And yeah. I think that in itself is a, is really cool to see. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they find more pace. Hopefully they find more pace. And, and, impr- and improve reliability, which we've been saying for now true. an entire calendar year. Hey, but, uh, uh, hey I mean, they, least... they're still in that calendar year window. I mean, I, I feel like, at, I, you know, least, like we still, yeah. At least their gearbox didn't fail this time. Yeah. Because that's the thing that they've been having the most problems with. So at least they've solved that. They just need to work on the other hydraulic issues and also the steering rack and also not crashing in the middle of the night. But, you know, that's that can be fixed. Um, 
Also, what I think they need to do is they need to need to release an update package for the Lego that they've made to include the new livery because the new livery looks sick and I want it to look sick on Lego, not just on the car itself. Yeah, that would be cool if they uh, if they did release that uh, new livery with the Lego set because yeah, it uh, that one pops way more than the gray one. Oh, I, hell do, yeah. I, I I do like the the combo of. Gray and lime, kind of like the lime are we, are green we, are thing. We keeping you, are we keeping you up, Cookie? Is, oh, is that okay? Ah, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Can't believe I yawned. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the gray kind of lime green look to it, but at the same time, yeah, this one it's it's got some busyness to it, but whatever. I, I think it looks really good on the car. Yeah. Um, next, next on our list is Cadillac. Now, Cadillac had a bit of a, a weird race. Of course, they started. Pretty poorly with uh, Jack Aitken putting it in the wall on the first lap, which is you know not great, not not a great way to start the race. Um, but they managed to keep a consistent pace, ticking over with their other cars, and also had the luxury of using the three one one as a bit of a, a mule, a test dummy for if there was changing conditions or anything like that. So you know, again, extra bullets in the chamber. Um, a, a easily the best of the LMDH cars. Uh, third and fourth, only a lap off the pace uh, overall. You know, as a, a, a that might be a you you're not you're not going to be extremely happy with that, but like that's a pretty solid start. That's a pretty solid start to your Le Mans adventure. Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. They um they and and I'll just say it again. Like they're definitely probably the best LMDH that I've seen that are running like in both in both specs. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It's basically them and Porsche, but right now, but um, the way that uh, the car looks, it just it's it looks kind of exactly like it, like the DPI did. To be it, honest, it, it like, looks like a Chevy DPI, doesn't it? It does, and it, it just it has that it it seemingly has that similar drivability where it just it, it's got good like torque power with the engine. It just it it is just reliable as all hell, and. Um, like it, it strengths with the top speed, decent downforce. Like it, a lot of the strengths seemingly from the DPI that did very well or look like they translated quite easily with this, uh, you know, with with this new um, LMDH. So I genuinely do think that that's probably the best platform uh, LMDH that we have right now, no matter what's happening in the IMSA Championship. But um, it's just it looked really solid. A huge bummer that the 311 couldn't, um, you know. <laughs> couldn't stay off the wall in the first lap because I definitely liked that driver lineup. And I I thought Action Express probably at times is uh drives even better than the than the actual Cadillac factory team with Ganassi. Like they, they can figure out setups for these cars pretty good and they've had good track rates because doing that in DPI. So um yeah, I I think coming out of Lamar like if you're an, an LMDH team, it's got to be Cadillac who's feeling the best right now. They just seemingly are like they're they've got a solid platform. Yeah, and you know that's that's what you want at Lamar. And the what you were saying about multiple bullets in the chamber. You know the other cars didn't run flawlessly, but also they were good enough to keep in the mix. And when Ferrari had an issue with the number fifty, and when Porsche put it in the wall. The number two and the number three were there to pick up, the, not pick up the scraps, but in position to take what was then on offer. Um, and I think they they did very well uh, in that. Um, on the moment, uh, going back to Jay Aiken, Jay Aiken, firstly, it was a bit annoying that uh, 
that caused the safety car that lasted for an hour after Eduardo specifically warned to not do exactly that. But I've got to say, I've just posted a picture in our uh, chat, uh, live chat of the car coming into the pits with the front left completely hanging off, the crash structure a bit mangled, and the car looking extremely secondhand. Oh, and also the bonnet half covered by bodywork. The fact that he had managed to get that car back to the pits was kind of amazing. Oh yeah, um, a, a similar thing to the Hertz car, right? The the fact that they those cars were able to get back to the pits and repaired was kind of awesome. Like it, all in all, we only had three of the hypercars not actually cl- get classified as finishes. Like that that's kind of incredible. Yeah, for all the contact out there and just the random scenarios, um, you know the the three finishing only two laps down from the, from the two leaders and the lap behind the two was pretty awesome. Just considering how crazy, I mean, they basically got ran into at Dunlop bridge and try to in, basically had to limp that thing back home was also involved in, you know, at, entering the Porsche uh, curves when it downpoured there. Mm. Um, and they essentially had to, they spun out. Um, I think that was Scott Dixon that spun out there and had it and continued on. But I mean, they had they faced a lot of adversity and to essentially only finish two laps off the lead in arguably what was the third fastest car um, or fourth fastest car of the hypercar field was a pretty pretty good feat and um, yeah it just it goes to show that they absolutely earned that podium that they got there uh, they they executed about as good as you could have asked for without just having the that extra bit of pace um, and luck to not have uh, as many issues as others did or as little issues i should say as ferrari did yeah um now let's talk about your boys let's talk about toyota it was oh so close uh they finished on the lead lap uh, just over a minute behind they of course had the issue with the number seven getting crashed out the number eight was in the mix but a a a moment for hirakawa put it all all to bed how do you cookie a toyota fan feel about Lamar right now? Uh, it's just same old, same old. You know, you get numb to it after a while, but... <laughs> Jeez, that sounds like an abusive relationship. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, it would have been nice to win this year, but, you know, not every time you're going to be able to do it, and, it, you know, Lamar bites again. So, you know, you... Like, it didn't feel as upsetting this year, because it's just, it was totally out of your hands with the seven. The eight you know, it just felt like the Ferrari Ferraris had really good pace. They didn't really have a whole lot of uh, issues in terms of like uh, uh, after uh, stacking stints on tires. They seemingly were pretty good. Um, intermittent conditions. They they had they executed strategy really really well mm. too. So um, so that was really good to see from them. Just meant that there was really good competition. Um, date was there. It sucks that it potentially had some balance problems because of hitting wildlife, but, yeah. um, so, but hey, yeah, I, 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 I want to talk about that. So during the middle of the night, the, the Toyota number eight was in control until it had that moment where Rio Hirokawa hit a, some wildlife. I think it was a squirrel or something along those lines. And it broke part of the front of the car and it broke a bit of the floor. Now they changed the floor at, at the next pit stop, but, but by that point, Hirokawa had already, already fallen behind. Um, and they took Hirokawa out of the car. Now, my the thing that really surprised me, um, and I think maybe played into what happened at the end of the race, was that Hirokawa didn't get back into the car until the final set of stints. 
my thought would be, like, it, as well, that was a super high-pressure situation that Hirokawa got back into. Why would they not have put Hirokawa back in a bit earlier when the, the pressure was a little more off, when, you know, they were not quite right on Ferrari's tail or not quite, you know, in that actual side-to-side battle with Ferrari just to get him back in feeling confident in the car because that was the thing that kind of struck me. When Hirokawa got back in the car in that high-pressure situation, it didn't it didn't look comfortable. He didn't look confident. And he didn't look confident in the pits before getting into that car either. So a, a bit of race management there for me from Toyota. What, what was the thoughts there, do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to agree. I, I think Hirokawa is really is an excellent driver, but it's, it's the same thing as like with Maria Lopez and even Mike Conway. Like, it just seems like it takes you like one or two seasons when if you're with Toyota to really get comfortable in the in the seat um, and start you know outside of um, Hartley. And but Hartley, of course, had. LMP1 experience before going to Toyota. You correct, yes. Uh, it, uh, so yeah, it does. It does seem like this is a pattern of drivers just kind of not necessarily being able to find that limit yet. And then once they do, it then like they they kind of get seated and, and get comfortable with it. So, but yeah, it, it it definitely did seem like he was to me the third quickest driver in that in that lineup and. You know, to go to have him go right at the end, chase down a Ferrari, especially when they're that close on pace, and you know, not necessarily have the right balance on it. It, it definitely felt like Buemi was doing what he needed to 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 keep the car pointed the right direction and go quick. But it did seem like he was really trying to have to work it, mm. and he's just had so much experience doing that that I could easily see why Hirakawa could not keep up with the same pace and definitely push potentially too hard. And then kind of the end result being a spin and contact and with the wall at Arnage. So, and and as well, just just little mistakes, little mistakes on that mistake though. The thing, uh, another thing that really struck me was that prior to getting into the car or prior to getting out of that car, rather Hartley said over the radio, be careful with the rears. They are locking up specifically into Mulsanne and Arnage take a bit, you know, leave a bit of margin. He, like, that call came specifically over the radio as information for Hirokawa to take a little bit off going into those corners despite pushing hard because they didn't want to throw the race away. And it took two laps of Hirokawa in that car for exactly the thing that he was warned against to happen. Um, he locked up the rears going into Arnage and hit the wall. And, like, I know that's part and parcel of pushing a car fast in that situation, but it like again, this is similar to the sort of thing where um, uh, Charlie Robinson had that issue at Bahrain, where they qualified in the front row and crashed into the Toyota at the first corner, and it was like, well, that that chance that you had with that car is now just completely over. It's it's about race management and about leaving those margins there when you have to, even though you want to push that hard. And like, I'm not sure if you watched the um the full access uh video yet on YouTube for Lamar, um, but Hirokawa was distraught when he got out of the car. Like he was almost in tears. He had the biggest sour lemon face on the planet. And, you know, Hartley and Boemi were comforting him, saying, you know, it was you you were told to push, that's exactly what you did, well done. But it was like he was distraught um with the mistake that he made. So I mean it was good. It's good experience for him because he'll know what to do next time. But also, a, a bit of race management, a bit of personal management lacking there from Toyota at the end, in my opinion. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it's just the same old kind of thing a bit, but, um, you know, it, whether or not they would have been able to, to take a little bit more easy or at least not feel as pressured as they did with having that, that extra car be there at the end, you know, I, I definitely think that they probably would have approached it a little bit more, uh, more calm and focused on it. Um, it definitely seemed like they were really just trying as much as they could to get that one car to, to really outperform the two Ferraris um, or at least the 51 itself. And really it just, uh, they, you know, this, the combination of everything just kind of led to, uh, to a little bit of an accident there. So mm. we'll have uh, to get it next year. I think we'll see the GRO two O though. So we'll see how much seething that that brings into effect. But, uh, I, you know, that might just even be a more solid platform. So we might not really even be talking about the, the same problem. We might be yeah. talking about whether that the car finishes 24 hours next year. Yeah, I can, I can, I can already hear in your voice how tired and sad you are about talking about Toyota. So let's talk about someone different now. Uh, Ferrari, Ferrari win Le Mans. The prancing horse wins Le Mans. Like that's 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 a headline and a half, isn't it? And mm-hmm. they were really the best, be, like the, the team with the best chance to do it, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like the the pace is was a hundred percent there. So um, you know, and it. The, again, I said before, the their strategy was good. I mean, in, in the inclement conditions and changing conditions, they seem to just always be ready to go in the pits when needed. Um, like just how, somehow their stints were always just kind of almost about to end. So they would duck in um, or they would just kind of guess right when they needed to stay on dries or to put on uh, uh, wets. Just kind of didn't matter. They were really executing very well. Um, and the car balance was there. I mean, they really... Uh, the car performed very well at Le Mans, and uh, specifically with the track, they the car seems like it it does well at other places. Um, but they absolutely had the pace, no question about it. Um, there and were able to maintain it throughout the stint, and didn't seem to slow down when it came to night pace or uh, back during the day. And they, excuse me, they were setting a lot of fast lap times. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, as well, it seems that they managed the race really effectively. And that was despite a late race little hiccup where the car refused to fire on three occasions in the pit lane, um, including the last pit stop. Now, a, a Cookie, last pit stop, you come in, you've got a you know three-minute lead, you come into the pits, you do your, your driver change, your pit stop, your tire change, your refueling, and the car doesn't start. What... What on earth goes through your mind at that point? Like, how fast um, is your heart beating if you're James Collado sitting off the sideline? Well, for me watching it, I was just like, "Oh no, not not like this!" <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like I cannot, I like you know. I mean, Toyota has gone through it so much as it is anyway. But like, uh, it just the the craziness of how Ferrari would potentially lose it on the last pit stop. Um, specifically because they could get their engine fired and somehow gave up the lead to Toyota after everything that Toy- had to- you know, Toyota had would have just been like so unbelievably heartbreaking. And the amount of Ferrari memes would have been just, <laughs> just insane. Yeah. Um, but as it, as it was, they somehow managed to, to get it refired again and it, it was rolling and move on from there. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a dream victory for them. I don't think that... I think every team wanted to win it, but I, I it 
to, to come in with your first year at the ball and win it is very special. Yeah, uh, uh, and we haven't seen someone come in in their first year at Lamar and win it for a very long time, for like an exceedingly long time. Uh, the the last time we saw a first year team win at Lamar was probably like I don't know two thousand, but even then the R eight had been running a year before. So like, oh, you know, how far back do we want to go? I I I don't think it's happened this 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 century. Oh man! Uh, like man, was, I, was I, the was I'm the BMW in '99 that. that new? Was the BMW in '99 new? Or did um, they, had they raced? No, in that's a, that was an Evo. That was an Evo of '98 and I think '97. So yeah, the first time to come through, like at least since uh, uh McLaren, McLaren in '95. Uh, McLaren had raced in 94 as well, though, and they lost to the, the Dower. So do we count the Dower, even though it's a freaking 962, which had been around for over a decade at that point? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Or do you go the, the Tom Walkinshaw racing uh, the the TWR 96 or the 95, which which won in 96? So uh, yeah, you, what, yeah, what, yeah. what we're saying is that it's been a long, it's a long bloody time since a team has come to Lamar and won on their first attempt. A long, a bloody long time. Yeah, hard, it, it's too hard for me to try to find stats on it right now. Like, legitimately <laughs> the only one I can think of is the 962 in 1982. But even then, Porsche had been running, like, a, a long program before that. So it was just a new car and a new formula. And, like, everyone had a new car. I mean, that's still a new car. I mean, well, yeah. yeah, I guess they were they were, they were still there. I don't know, but uh, it it yeah, I mean it, it's an incredible feat and something too. I mean, especially to go up against Toyota and you know with a brand new car, be able to essentially outrun them uh, says a lot too to how the the team and the drivers uh, gel and mesh. Like they're a, a pretty good outfit, and um, it definitely was something that I wasn't expecting potentially to see out. But the Sebring. Uh, kind of shock results from that entire weekend, I think really set the stage for them to perform well here. I mean, the, the car immediately at the gate had the pace um, for the you know, pace tables that WC had already set. So, um, yeah, they, they had a good road to victory and they executed on it perfectly to get it. Yeah, and this is, this is uh, you know, quite, quite an incredible thing. 50 years after their last attempt that they come back in and take the victory and i want to remind you of something cookie uh that you sent to me when ferrari uh announced their program i this would have been what end of 2020 early 2021 uh where i just woke up uh in the middle of the night to my phone buzzing off the table with a series of messages just in all caps which was just forza ferrari forza ferrari yes 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 (laughs) and here we are here we are Yeah, who would? Uh, yeah, again, I just um, I, I didn't think they were going to be able to pull it off in the first year. I thought they were definitely going to be the the people to challenge uh, or the team to challenge Toyota the most. But at the same time, I just felt like it was it, it wasn't going to go their way that quickly. And um, you know, we'll we'll see how the WC season lasts for them. But at this point, you know, to see those cars too pr- uh, prance around Marinello. Um, was pretty awesome as well to see, you know, how much that the uh, the local community and fans came out to 
um, to see the cars and just to, to see the factory embrace it that much as well and to really have a lot of joy and satisfaction from that win meant a lot too for this sports car fan that really likes to see manufacturers take this race seriously and, and show it the respect that it deserves. So, mm. And I think that's that's uh, that's been true for all the manufacturers that raced at Le Mans this year. I think it, it was, as I said, to lead off the show, an addition befitting the centenary event. We haven't even talked about any of the other classes yet. Um, just a final thing on LMH before we jump on and talk about the other classes. Uh, the balance of performance change that we got very late in the lead-up to the event what were your thoughts on that now that all the dust has settled and the event has been run and won and raced? Was that the right decision by the ACO? Uh, the What was the actual... So, so they added, like, I think it was, they added... Buffs and nerves. 35 kilograms to the, uh, to the Toyota. Uh, a little bit of weight, I think it was 13 kilograms to the Ferrari. And then two kilograms to, I think, either the Cadillac or the Porsche. So it was, um, you know, not insignificant, um, but it was, it could have been a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it was okay. Maybe, maybe a little bit less for the Toyota, but I mean, at that point, I think you know, you're you're trying to make it so that it's not as crazy. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it definitely, it's not, it's not very, very small peanuts, but it's, you know. It's peanuts uh, to, to me. I, I, I think that they definitely they were good. They were adjustments to try to balance it a little bit more. And you know, ultimately, if that was too much or not, you know, is also it is also down to the pace of the cars and how much they can perform too. So, yeah, I mean, if Toyota didn't get as much of a VLP hit, would they have probably had a better pace to hold off Ferrari? Maybe, but then we might not have gotten really good races. And who knows? Maybe they they still had pace but again the floor was still damaged and they didn't have good controllability and they made a mistake putting in the wrong driver at the final stint you know it's just kind of there's a lot of other factors that went into it and it 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 didn't feel like the 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 last minute bop adjustment really made that much of a difference in the result i i tend to agree i think they got everyone very close in the wheelhouse and it, the the racing that we got to see kind of shows that, I think. Um, the fact that we had all of the hypercars able to race each other very closely in packs, like GTE style, like that, to me, kind of speaks to how close they got it. So, you know, yeah, possibly the Toyota lost the race in the boardroom instead of out the track, like the, you know, the CEO said, which was kind of shitty, but like, you know, maybe they got hit a little too hard, but... I, on a personal standpoint, for the quality of the race that we got, I'm kind of glad that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly don't think that it was, uh, you know, like it was debilitating. I mean, hmm. I, I, I just, I, the actual adjustments themselves didn't, didn't appear to be all that much of a, of a hamstring. Like, yes, it, you were disadvantaged by at X percent. And I, I understand that, that that is unfortunate, but you know, sometimes it's just trying to, you know, I, I would rather be in that position than have to hope for um, a nerf to some other competitors so that they can perform better mm. kind of thing. And I, I doubt that's what Ferrari were wanting. They, you know, they would definitely want a straight up fight too. And they also got pinged a bit as well. So yeah. 
Um, they're trying to average everything out to the to the rest of the the field and not necessarily to try to like hamper one team. So I'm not really mm. that upset about it. So what we have 17 hypercars, uh, cookie, the, the largest or 16 hypercars, the largest or top class field for over a decade. Now, if this is what Lamar is going to be like in the future, and this is what WC is going to be like in the future, freaking bring it on, mate. That was amazing. Yeah. We got Lambo and BMW next year. So hell yeah. Um, so plenty to look forward to if you're a sports car related fan, like we are. Um, let's talk about LMP2 because LMP2 had a bunch of stories in itself. Uh, quite notably the complete destruction and, uh, chaos of LMP2 Pro-Am, I think with one, one car finishing in that class without significant issue. Um, but also probably the most surprising result of the entire race into Europol, come out with a Lamar victory. What? Like, we made mention that they may be, you know, like a, a, a dark horse, you know, something, that a team that's been growing with a good driver lineup that could do something. But for them to actually come away and win it, what, what, what on God's green earth? Well, like, uh, let me just clarify that it's still unofficial. And okay, if okay. I still have a wiring loom from Europol that they're still looking at, which is crazy to me. I, I like at that point. I don't even trying to even think of what specifically they could be investigating in in the loom itself. That but, would but, that oh, would be violating something. But but also yes. this is not uncommon. They take parts from every car after the race in order to check a homologation spec. And like all of the hypercar cars had parts taken from them. This is not uncommon. This isn't actually a new right. story. Yes. It's like, yes. it's, just, it's just they haven't finished what they're they looking still, at yet. But it still haven't. Yeah, Everything else has been released for every single other team that had any any parts impounded. Everybody's gotten their own back except for interview poll. So I'm not saying that they're definitely guilty of anything. It's just interesting to note that, that the FIRs are taking almost almost a month to well, figure this out. The interesting so. thing about that as well is that they only did that at the request of Team WRT because apparently Team WRT decided that they had a performance advantage and wanted the car to be basically stripped top to bottom. So, like... Yeah, very very interesting uh, result. We'll see. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, fingers crossed that it stands because, yeah, what a, what a crazy story. And to the fact that one of their drivers essentially was like with a broken not foot. able, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it actually confirmed that Costa had a broken foot? Yeah, I think uh, after the race uh, they scanned it and he had like two broken uh, metatarsals. So, it, it, was it was it him or was it uh... Uh, Fabio Scherer that had? Oh, it was Scherer. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, Scherer yeah. that had it. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, that that was incredible just to see him like hobbling around, especially on the last uh, pit stop or uh, the driver swap at the end, so he could finish it out was was something too. Um, and just again, WRT was closing at the end there too, so you kind of thought that it was potentially going to fall away from Interpol, but they managed to hold on and and uh, and won the race. That was incredible for the class. Yeah. I, I thought um, outside of the just crazy amount of incidents um, in LMP2. And the pro ams just pro amming everywhere. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and it was. And to me, the, the most interesting thing was uh, it was a uh, it just uh, like the, the cars that we called to be the ones that were going to be the un- unbeatables. You know, the United cars, the Jota car, the the top WIT cars. 
they all managed to find a way to, to lose. And I guess this is one of the things when you're in a, effectively a spec series with this many cars that are this high quality, as soon as you make one mistake, you're done. Like, you're absolutely done. And, you know, the United cars, they made, you know, mistakes in the weather or, you know, in the pit lane or they, they the cars just weren't up to scratch for a period of time. The Alpine cars, you know, one of them had that instant going to the slow zone. The other one just, like, didn't quite have the pace. It, it's just as soon as you are not in that lead battle, you are done and there's no coming back. And I, the only car throughout the entire race that was in the mix throughout the entire race was the Inter-Europol car. And, you know, they held off a charge from WRT. We, at one point, we had the Polish team against the Polish driver in Robert Kubica, and the team won out. It's It was kind of remarkable how flawless their race was. And it really, like, we talked about David and Goliath in, in Hypercar. This was the true David and Goliath story. Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. I mean... Uh to to see kind of uh, and again like they're they're like they've been a plucky kind of team that has that has found success i mean you know they've they've done the tons of different aco um championships and have have done different aco ladders for years um and you know but they've never been this like extremely you know, uh, fan like or a uh, pace favorite, like just coming into a weekend, you know, like you'd see from United Autosports or uh, even they, they Graf were in LMP3 and... for a while. They were in LMP3 with, yes. um, oh, this is going back to the memory ranks. I can't remember which, uh, which drivers they were, but they were two very good drivers. And they basically won everything for a full season, but yeah, certainly not in LMP2. But I think the, LMP2. Change, the change from the, the Ligier to the Orica had breathed new life into that team and. Yeah, far out. They 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 actually got it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, definitely by far the the most wholesome uh, win of the uh, of the race. Is it? We haven't talked about GT, but like we'll we'll get there in a second. Um, the yeah. the the rest of the class uh, results. It's a bakery, you, damn it! I, I know you're, it's you're, a Polish. It's bakery. a bakery. It's a Polish how, how is that bakery. not wholesome? How how is a Polish bakery not wholesome? I, I mean. It's not yeah, not it's not not exactly. wholesome, but also all right. It's all but also Ben Keating. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Uh, um, okay. So uh, the car finished uh, 14 laps down in the overall lead. Um, it had a 20 second lead over the Team WIT card. Louis Delatraz did everything he could to try and uh, catch back up in that last stint, but the fresh tires for Shera uh, managed to hold it off. Um, a lap down was. Uh, Duquesne, the number 30 Duquesne team, uh, the Alpine Elf team and team, the second team WIT car, they had a few, they tried a fuel gamble. They didn't quite pay off. Um, and then IDAC Sport rounded out that group, uh, just over a lap down. So, uh, yeah, again, to me, interesting that while WIT was in the mix, the United cars, the Prema cars, the Jota car, they, they just weren't, they just absolutely were not there. Yeah, some of the some of who I thought were going to be def, uh, definite favorites did not have the pace at all, which was surprising to me. Um, but then you, you again, you still had WRT, which was you know kind of preoccupying a lot of my brain power whenever I look at uh, LMP two in terms of like okay, there's the obviously like there's WRT. I was I, I was expecting a little bit more um, from United and. I don't, I, see, like, that's the thing. I didn't really, like, I knew Alpine could definitely have an opportunity or chance doing something, but I didn't really think that they, like, they, they didn't look oppressive like WRT did. Like, I, I thought WRT were the favorites going into it, and um, 
And yeah, I think that they definitely tried to do as much as they could to defend themselves uh, at this race and just came up a little bit short. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely right. Uh, they they were the only real big team that had a, a clean run of it because, I mean, the United Autosports yeah, cast... Prima, Prima got throttled yeah, too, the, I mean... United Autosports crashed in the rain and, you know, uh, the there was a few there was a few big incidents for the LMP2 Pro-Am cars. I mean, the, the, the massive crash from Nielsen Racing early on the race at Turn 1 that just completely tore the car apart into the, you know, the runoff of the Dunlop, Dunlop chicane. Um a uh, uh, weird Ricky Taylor accident, like very abnormal for him to to be involved in a wreck like that. And that yeah, was, that well, was coming out of Tete Rouge. Yeah, well, that car, that car, that number thirteen tail motorsport car, had a torrid week um, between the crash in uh, practice that got uh, that car uh, gave it a drive through penalty before the race had even started, and then you know to follow it up with another big crash early on the race that wasn't wasn't exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, Racing Team Turkey and Prema, we detailed what happened to them as, as well. Um, even the the number thirty two into Europol car that had an an incident, um, I think into the first Mulsanne chicane, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just a, a very uh, high attrition in uh, LMP two Pro Am. Um, so yeah, a, a little a little weird with that one. But the the thing that really tickles me about the Pro Am race was that the team that won was the number forty five Algarve Racing cars. That was George Kurtz, James Allen, and Colin Braun. Um, James Allen won that race ahead of the, uh, well, sorry, James Allen, uh, was driving for the, was it the IDEX Sport car in Daytona where he passed the, uh, Algarve Pro car on the final straight of Daytona to win the class in LMP2 by like, thousands of a second and now he's gone over mm-hmm. to Algar Pro and won the, uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans Pro-Am for them that was pretty funny that's a cool cool story <laughs> yeah it all comes all comes back around it's all yeah. circular <laughs> time is a flat circle um <laughs> so now this was a, a bit of a thing uh I noticed because LMP2 well sorry because Hypercar was such a strong and interesting class LMP2 was really less focused on there's you know there's still quite a bit of focus with the the battle with the bakers but like it's particularly with the pro-am stuff i felt like i didn't really get to see a lot of it on the broadcast i mean for sure there were the pro-ams uh about half you know less than halfway through like half of them were taken out so um you know you didn't see as much there i think there was also more gaps than you were used to um a lot of the the lmp2s Ended up finding trouble at some point in the race and were laps down. I mean, there are only two cars technically in the lead lap for LMP2. And um, I feel like not necessarily that we see more, but I think we see more closer gaps uh, near the end with LMP2. Like, yeah. there's usually. It kind of stretches um, out and it comes back. Right. And you kind of saw that a little bit, but at the same time, there there was just a lot of incidents there's just a lot of accidents and whatnot that really hampered um you know i would say what we had about six cars that were who kind of sniff at the front and four of those were a lot down so yeah. it's you know like it definitely seemed like it had more of a even pace 
um, or at least like a more predictable finish a little bit earlier on in the race than you had with G- uh, Hypercar. I want to say GTP, Hypercar and uh, GTM, yeah, which get, GTM get, was ridiculous. Get, get out of IMSA mode, mate. We're not talking IMSA here. IMSA doesn't exist yeah. on this side of the planet. Yeah, yeah mate. <laughs> be, be careful. <laughs> I'll start sending over more supercars drivers to win in NASCAR. Bring it on, man. I, 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 had, a lot of, I had a lot of fun. Um, so let's, let's talk now about GT because this was, this was brilliant. Um, now yeah. it, it is very rare that you see a car, uh, what was it? Break a damper and then come back to win the race. And yeah, the, they're two laps down. There were two laps down at the start of the race and they had, uh, an incorrect, incorrect wave around procedure as well. Like that they tried to protest, but there was knocked back. Um, it was a phenomenal race, and I've got to say, it was mostly off of the back of Ben Keating. He was, I was keeping track, I was, I was riding for Daily Sports Car uh, through the night stint, and I was keeping track of GTE, and I was looking at who was doing their driver time, who was getting their bronzes done, and when the bronzes were in the car, how fast they were, and Ben Keating, compared to the other bronzes, were at some points 10 seconds a lap faster than the likes of uh, the AO Racing Bronze and a few of the other guys at the front. He was setting 357s in that Corvette compared to some of the other guys in the 407s, 405s. Like, that—that that is how he that team gained back two laps. That is, like, build the man a statue, honestly. Yeah, he's an incredible, uh, like, race car driver. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just keeps kind of proving in and out um, that he's he's literally capable of winning in anything that he's, he's thrown in for his class. Um, and, I mean, makes a strong argument that, you know, like, AM drivers can easily pretty much achieve and deserve a gold rating potentially for some of their exploits just because he's, you know, I, I think if he, again, if he was younger, I think he easily could, could yeah. be gold. Yeah, absolutely. Like, not even a question. Um uh, he's just got an, an awesome, awesome experience and control um, and of just every different kind of GT platform you can imagine, including, uh, you know, we're talking P2 prototypes. So uh, I just, again, like, I, I don't even think that we could really question who has been the best damn driver in the last like 20 years. I mean, it's definitely him. And then they go off and do this. Um it's just insane, absolutely yeah. insane. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, entirely baffling. It's 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 remarkable, is what it is. Um, and like that's not to downplay the efforts of Nicola Verona and uh, Nikki Katzberg, but like when your bronze driver is ten seconds a lap faster than the the direct competition, like that is that is a huge leg up, and that is something that's going to be very hard to overcome. And what an what an like see, this is the thing, right? What a wholesome result. It's Ben Keating in a Corvette for the last time that the factory Corvette operation exists and they've done it the hard way. They've come back from two laps down. They've come back from a crash in practice. Uh, and then like Katzberg put it on pole regardless. Uh, well, sorry, Katzberg got it into hyperpole and then Keating's put it on pole. And like of all the people in the paddock to do it, it's Ben Keating. Who's one of the nicest, most humble drivers around who is just so excited to be there every single time, but also has that drive to win. Like, like, Oh my what how, how how wholesome how i just want to i just want to like get this result and cuddle up with it under the blanket you know eating the tf then 
Yeah, well, uh, IIT by TF. And I think the, the most remarkable thing about the IIT by TF team was that their race was entirely unremarkable. Like, I, I don't remember seeing them at all. And they just popped up in seconds. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, they it, they definitely had uh, the last, like, what, two or three hours. It definitely was like the I- Iron Dames were still in the lead for a bit. And then they kind of had a they had some issues where they were falling off. Um at the end, they, they had I a did. break. They had a break failure, effectively. So they had to ch- change the break. So they were in the podium position and then dropped out because of the break change. Yep. And um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just kind of they were. Uh, it. I remember with the of course being up there with GR as well. But yeah, or T just or with TF just snuck in there. And who knows? I mean, with TF picking up the Corvette uh, GT three relationship next year, we could see getting in a Corvette driving for TF. Out of the mall next year. Well, see, this is the thing. Keating has been very outspoken about the fact that he doesn't want to race GT3. He doesn't enjoy the GT3 cars. He's not a big fan of them, a fan of what they become. He likes the GTE, and if he doesn't, if he can't drive that, he'd rather drive an LMP2. So we could see wonder, him in an LMP2. Then. How the LM? We'll we'll see if he likes the LM kits. I mean, we we've not really seen a GT3 with a LM kit on it yet, have we? Uh, no, but I didn't think the LM kits were something that was actually happening anymore. Oh, well, then I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, well, uh, uh, then, like, it could be. We'll see him in P2. We'll yeah, see him in P2. It could go either way. Um, but yeah, it was, it, I, I can't wait to see what Keating can do in LMP2. Um, on the flip side though, as much as LMP2 Pro-Am was a bloodbath, GTE was an absolute massacre so of the how many cars do we have in GTE? Uh, uh, yeah, in GTE it was what like let's have a quick look here. Four, eight, twelve, sixteen, uh, plus five is twenty-one. We had one, two, six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve DNFs. Like that, 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 that is a bloodbath. That is more than half the class ending the race either in the tire barriers or in the garage. Yeah, it was it was a bit nutty, um, and considering that you had like all of like all the incidents and wrecks and whatnot, it it definitely seemed like GTM was just bonkers this year. <laughs> Everybody lost their brain cells and a half. Yeah, brain cells and a half is is about right. And uh, you know, some of those accidents were you know pretty innocuous, like the um the things going into slow zones. Like those those accidents really just shouldn't have happened, but. Yet again, that that's what they that's that's what happens, and I guess um, you know we we've got an, we had an increased amateur component at Lamar this year. Do you think that played into it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely do. I think with how the hypercars were as well, um, you definitely had just more fast cars for the GTMs to have to try to get around or at least exist. And a lot more opportunities for them to to really be in a bad situation, or at least to be put in a bad situation where they're they're the victims of issues. And we just kept seeing that happen, especially the P twos, um, really just having a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, there's just a, the, there there definitely was some issues with GTM um, drivers just kind of going a little too a little over their heads and then obviously the slow zone issues which really annihilated like three or four cars just by themselves mm. and then we just had little incidents here or there where they just you know just not using their full brain power um 
yeah. to try to navigate the course a little bit better. And and a, and a few scary instances as well in in the wet with the you know AM drivers in GT cars on a sodden track aquaplaning on slicks like that was a bit scary um like when uh they you had the uh you know lila wadoos crash at the porsche curves that was very scary um so a good thing that she came out of that all right and wasn't you know wasn't further afflicted by you know going off of the porsche curves at extremely high speed um yeah, that was that was scary. Uh, but yeah, a, 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 a lot of interesting things come from the GTE AM race. Um, uh, it was interesting to me to see the Porsches actually perform quite well after none of them made hyperpole. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found that a bit interesting and confusing, seeing as there wasn't really a, a change in uh, in balance of performance or anything from that. But yeah, it was it was a bit. Not odd, but it was, you know, a welcome sight to see the Porsches doing well in the race after completely missing out on Hyperpole. Yeah, changeable conditions, um, overnight driving, that kind of thing, uh, it just, or just kind of the pace of the other cars falling off, not what their ultimate time could be, and Porsche keeping up a little bit better with that as well. I mean, they've got a good platform, so yeah, and, and, it's not as surprising, but it's good to see that the even if they don't qualify as well, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, obviously with Corvette, yeah. but um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, crazy class crazy class yeah and uh, again as much as as much as lmp2 kind of flew under the radar because of what was happening in hypercar gtm absolutely flew under the radar i was as i said i was covering gt uh, the gt class for daily sports car um from midnight to 4 a.m uh the morning time and at one point the entire live timing system completely fell apart and like had completely broken for hours on end and i would like I had to ask people at the track what position cars were in because there was no way I was getting that information from the broadcast because they weren't showing any GTM. So that was uh, a bit of a interesting experience, but we got through. Um, to yeah, so as much as I love how awesome Hypercar was, do want to see more GTM on screen, please? ACO and Lamon Endurance Media, stupid. Um. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was Ben Keating, Nicola, uh, Nikki Katzberg and Nicola Verone who won the race, uh, for, for Corvette. They ended up finishing a lap ahead of, uh, OIT by TF Sport, the Omani, uh, flagged car with the first Omani driver to end up on the podium in Almad Alhati. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so well done them. Um, third place, GR Racing, Mike Wainwright, uh, Ricardo Pera and Ben Barker and, Mike Wainwright has a Lamont podium, I guess. Uh, <laughs> can't believe that. I, I yeah, I, 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 I kind of can't. And I, <laughs> and like those who have those who have been following Endurance Chat for a long time would know my feelings and opinions about Mike Wainwright. So I, I guess he's got a Lamont podium now. Well done. Um, and yeah, then, it, then we, it was we have to appreciate him more yeah, now. I, I, I guess to be fair, he has been a lot better in the RSR19 platform than he was in the previous platform. So I will pay him that. Um, Iron Dames ended up dropping off the podium spots. They finished five seconds behind the podium after having to change their brakes. Uh, and then it was the AF Corsa, Thomas Floor, Francesco Castellacci, Davide Regon car that finished in fifth. Um, the other finishes were the Northwest AMR car, which is actually hard of racing AMR. Um, and then Project One AO, uh, the Rexy car that led a lot of the night stints. Um, that kind of fell away, uh, in the morning once the sun came up. Um, walking horse racing in the not BMW in the Ferrari, uh, and then Kessel racing. And that was the last car from GTM to finish. Um, and 
another car that importantly made it to the finish was the NASCAR, the the in, uh, innovative uh, technology ca- Chevrolet Camaro. Uh, they were in the mix. They were ahead of the GTM field or coming back through the GTM field after losing a lot of time in the wet. Uh, but then their gearbox just decided to completely shit itself, Cookie. Did you, did you see the onboard from that? Uh, I did not. I, I, I did not actually get to see the onboard of that. Oh, ba- basically, basically what happened was the car came through the kink in Indianapolis, brought the power back on to get into Arnaj, and it just sounded like a, a bucket of bolts in a blender. Just... Um, so, yeah, <laughs> managed to sneak it back into the pits and repair it and get back out on track. But, like, honestly, they, that was that was late in the morning. That was uh, about... Yeah, like eleven o'clock local time. So they went, they went tw- almost twenty hours without a failure on that car. So I, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, me too. I mean, they uh, they ultimately were they had about the same fastest lap as the DTM leader. Um, and yeah, I mean, they the car could absolutely kind of compete with. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say it could compete with GTMs, but it, 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 I think it did its purpose well. I mean, it definitely was there to showcase and advocate motorsport in different parts of the world and, uh, and show kind of what, what new technologies are, are being kind of applied in NASCAR and whatnot. And just to see how much excitement there was and how, and to hear how loud it was and just, you know, making ears bleed was, was, was really cool. And then to see it just uh, in the morning too, just like completely covered in dirt was, uh, you know, again, it's just so it's just such a unique thing that 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 came about, and just to see how how much everybody really enjoyed it was really special too. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. I like very very much enjoyed having it be a bit of a, a part, like just having it be a part of the event, and like giving the opportunity to like three pretty incredible drivers in uh, uh, Jensen Button, Mike Rockefeller and Jimmy Johnson, to, for them to be a part of the event as well, and to do it in such a cool way, like, it was, like, it was cool. It was just cool to have around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and definitely, you know, NASCAR has, has done a, a done a bit to be on the map, which uh, for a lot of other, like, I, I don't care about NASCAR. Like, I couldn't care less about NASCAR. I don't like the way it's broadcast. I don't like the way it's run. I don't like the races. I just don't like it. But, like, I've you know, done more thinking about NASCAR in the last month than I've done in my entire life. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, so they must uh, be doing something. Again, right? That's where that's that's mission accomplished, I think, for yeah. for how it's supposed to go. So. Exactly. Um. So yeah, quite quite exciting for for that to to happen. So well done. Um. I want to ask you, Cookie. I know that you watched the race in a truncated little bit. Um, but what was your favorite? I rewatched it in full after. So what was your favorite period of the race? Oh, um, I mean, I, I almost like after, you know, removing the safety car periods, I like the inclement weather additions of it because it's just chaos. Um, you are I liked chaos the, I know, man. Uh, I like the eating again when, you know, you had Peugeot, basically when you were just trading leads off of stints, um, and who would dive into the pits then, you know, so you go back to Cadillac, Peugeot, Ferrari, Toyota, they jump each other. That was cool. And obviously at the end, then when Ferrari and Toyota were just constantly, constantly fighting with each other for the, for the lead was really, um, great too. So yeah, I probably either at the, the end of the race, the beginning race was, was, in, was, 
probably the most interesting. I think I, I felt most satisfied watching at night because, like I said, you just it seemed like everybody had a shot to win. You're like, yeah. all right, well, sit back and relax. This is like fireworks here. And then um, fireworks did start happening, which I, <laughs> evened <laughs> out some of the uh, competition. But, uh, yeah, it was really it, it was such a unique race and, um, you know, really was like fortunate to, to be able to be unable to give you a specific answer for that question because it just had a lot of great moments that's that's that that is a good answer being being unable to give a specific answer is a good answer um i i feel kind of the same i i quite liked the first part of the race with uh you know after the first safety car but just having 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 the top class battle like gts was was just ridiculous it was awesome i loved i loved watching that um and, and the second half of the race, the last part of the race, that was really, really cool as well. Um, I've noticed a little bit of a thing, though, Cookie. When when I'm covering a race for Daily Sports Car, I kind of tunnel vision and I don't actually watch the race. I just just watch my coverage. So, like, I did uh, midnight to 4 a.m. covering just GTs and then uh, 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. covering the prototypes. And, like, I could not tell you what happened in prototype between... Uh, between midnight and 4 a.m. Like, like there was... A Peugeot went off, and maybe uh, there was an issue for one of the Ferraris, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Spun and Sympathy in turn one. Yeah, but like... I I could not tell you any of the specifics because I was so tunnel-visioned on the the GT. So that's... uh, If you ever get into motorsport media, that's something you've got to watch out for slash just kind of take in stride because that's kind of just what happens, I guess. So, um, yeah. So I, 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 as much as I love watching the night hours and that ride to sunrise, I was so focused on what I was doing from a work perspective that I kind of forgot to actually watch the race, but it was okay. I could hand it back after that and just watch the end of the race. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I can, I can see that. Hey man, you're, you're trying to be a professional and do the best you can. So sometimes you gotta, you got to sacrifice, uh, you know, some of the rest of the classes there to make sure you're doing a producing a good product. So, Try, yeah, I mean, trying it, being the operative word. Yeah, absolutely, doing a great job. Do a great job, bud. No shucks. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Uh, it was actually, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it it was weird doing hourly reports because that's not something that we've done on or I've done on daily sports car for a long time. Well, at all to do like an hourly report of what's happening during the race. So like having to find a storyline in an hour, well, not find a storyline, but plot the storylines for that hour, get through, like start writing with like 10 minutes left in the hour, push that out as soon as the hours ticked over. And then like, okay, what have I missed in the last 10 minutes? And just kind of keep in that cycle. That was really, really interesting. Um, I'm m- much more used to doing the like four hour chunks where you can kind of weave a storyline together over that time. But yeah, it was just, it was mm-hmm. super interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you had fun, man. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you had fun, even though you had to catch up and watch it later. Yeah. Hey, uh, it made it uh, so that I could kind of watch. I broke it down more into parts and got to watch the rest of it in uh, comfortable settings around my apartment. So Aww. it was, it was great. Beautiful. It was great. Um. Yeah. How good is Lamar, mate? How good is Lamar? It does a job. You know. <laughs> it it definitely it definitely uh, satisfies the itch for a bit. Um, and it definitely, you know, the, uh, 
the Le Mans depressies happen after it's over. Well, I so, mean, yeah, that, that's that's why that's when you know you love it. <laughs> that's that's why we're recording this a full month after it happened because, like, yeah. after after the lead in, after every, all the work that we did in the lead in, after the race itself, you just kind of feel deflated afterwards. It's like, what what is the purpose of existence if Le Mans is so far away again? Oh, 100 percent. I can't can't agree with you more. <laughs> and and as well to to have built up that race so hard and like not just this year but like since the new regulations since like the 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 death of LMP1 and the whole rebirth of LMH and the Ashes for us for for not just us for the ACO for sports car media around like even after covid as well everything that has built up to this race in the last 3 to 5 years that has made this put this on the map as like the biggest Lamar since Lamar and for it to deliver like that oh so satisfying like yeah definitely it definitely uh it it filled a lot of the uh, sports car sales that have just kind of been um lacking wind the last few years um i think we definitely all have been hoping that something that we would get a uh something of something like this as an on-track product and to actually get it in the flesh and um and see that it's not you know that we don't have a bunch of issues that we got to like contend with and deal with and all that stuff is is good i mean you know we, we at the very least it could have gone bad where we had bad bop and i mean you know and then we're talking about just the lack of pace in certain cars in general and just you know how they're that we really you know, we still haven't seen the full potential of of this class and whatnot, but we we did. We saw it completely with the hypercar class. Um, it really just show bare fruit the entire race, and um, you know, really just helped solidify going. Okay, well, you know, we've had we've seen success in all the other categories that have raced at Le Mans pretty much for like God since you know the last Golden Age of twenty fifteen, yeah, twenty sixteen, and now we're kind of. We're back. back at it where we know that the prototype class is going to produce good good racing and good entertainment. So that's always just like, it's just very, very satisfying to be at that point again. Yeah, we're back, baby. Le Mans back. Sports cars are back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Le Mans, baby, yeah. So good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have something very exciting uh, like not just not just the event to be exciting but the the on-track product to be exciting again it is it is we've been hanging out for it a long time and we're finally here and it feels so good um and as well we've already got another race in the pipeline because we are recording this between qualifying and the race for the next round of the series which is monza so hopefully it goes up before the, the actual race and you get to listen to this before the race starts but like it feels like we can just roll this on through to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I can't imagine the size of the crowds that are going to be there today after Ferrari has taken that victory. The, the, the excitement must be palpable at, at, at Monza. Like if there's not a sea of red on the main straight, then something has gone wrong. I think too, um, the, the takeaway as well, post Le Mans is that like, yeah, I, I, there was, really wasn't anybody that wasn't satisfied, I guess, outside of Toyota not winning. Um, you know, every manufacturer seems to have taken something of a positive from right, running there and, and not necessarily looking at it being like, oh, we're, this is like in panic mode. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that too is just speaks to at least how, how, comfortable i feel now with the where the championship's in good hands with you know the direction it's going just because it seems like the participants are still happy after lamar which you know i, I mean god we've 
we've, I feel like we've had discussions about, you know, like teams and, and manufacturers themselves, you know, having massive problems after huge races and vowing never to do this or that. And, and definitely to see how much egos play into effect in a lot of other stuff, especially in the last 10 years and to see kind of everybody mostly, you know, play fair, play fun and, and play hard, you know, really, yeah, exactly. Um, and put on a good show is is really, really rewarding. So, Yeah, very happy with where sports cars are at the moment. Uh, yeah, Monza starts tonight, if or today or this morning, depending on where you are in the world. Um, and then we've got the actual summer break, which means that we won't have another WEC race until September? Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So... Yep. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a break coming up, which would be nice. Um, and I think, Cookie, unless you've got anything else to say, that comes to the end of our chat about Lamore. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think that'll do it. Awesome. Um, before we wrap up the show, though, um, I do want to say uh, a little something. Uh, just after the twenty-four hours of Lamore, we hit a special milestone here at Endurance Chat. I'm not sure if um if people saw the Twitter post I made or the post in the Discord. Um, but our preview episode um, for the 24 Hours of Lamar uh, hit 1,000 downloads, uh, which is a goal that I've sort of had sitting in the back of my mind for a very long time. Uh, so I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has ever listened to an episode of Endurance Chat uh, and who listened to the, the preview episode uh, because 1,000 downloads is quite a cool marker and to have hit that with our with with the preview episode for the biggest race that we've ever been uh, that we've ever talked about um it's it's something that was very very special so i want to say a huge thank you to to everyone who who listened in and has uh, enabled me and us and this to be a part of your sports car watching experience um it means a lot to to be able to share my thoughts and our thoughts um, and our opinions and our understandings and observations with such a committed and interested audience and to yeah to hit a thousand downloads is is very special so thank you yeah and thank you cookie yeah. for being along for the ride well thank you man thanks for for doing all this crazy stuff and uh and the help keep pushing us to to make awesome conversational talks about sports car racing coming from mildly amateurish uh you know, obsessive nerds yeah i, I hey, look I, i'm trying not to discredit us i'm 100 percent here you uh, know? <laughs> i mean yeah it's it's been very special it's been very special <laughs> we'll see it we'll see if we can keep it up how about that <laughs> I, I i hope we can so yeah thank you all very much for listening thank you austin for, for your contributions today yeah, thanks, and Mike. for the last eight years yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It's kind of it's been this long. I mean, that we you know I've told you many times that like the only thing I want is just keep doing this over and over and over again until we die. So um, <laughs> that'll be a know, long time. And yeah, well that's you know and uh, we're we're doing it. So that's uh, it, it's awesome and just to it and for people to actually like to listen to us do this is is you know I don't want to say it's weird, but it's. Uh, it's definitely a plus. Yeah. Because <laughs> we could just sit here and do this all day and not have anybody listen to us. But the fact that people do want to spend their time and, and do it is is pretty awesome. So 
Yeah, uh, absolutely, 100%. Um, and on that note, it's time for us to end the show. So thank you very much for listening. I've been Michael Salavari. Enjoy Monza. Peace out. Yazoo, we lost Lamar. That sucks. What's up, Ferrari? Grazie, ragazze. Yeah, yeah, yeah.